The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome listeners joining us on radio stations in every state of the union and also members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the Internet. Thank you for making the Costa Report part of your news week. In just a moment, former White House counsel for President Obama, Mr. Robert Bauer, will be joining us to discuss the investigation into Russia's role in the 2016 election and what needs to happen to get real election reform implemented. And by that, I mean election reform, which does not create roadblocks against any particular voting group. But before Mr. Bauer joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Robert Bauer was born in New York City. He earned his undergraduate degree from Harvard University and his law degree from the University of Virginia. With more than 30 years of practice and three best-selling books under his belt, it comes as no surprise that Bauer has been listed as one of the 100 most influential attorneys by the National Law Review, uh, Law Journal, excuse me. Bauer served as general counsel for the Democratic National Committee, the Obama presidential campaign, and once provided counsel to Senator Barack Obama. In 2009, Bauer was named the White House counsel to President Obama, a position he served until 2011 when he stepped down to return to private practice. And if you are not regularly reading Bauer's web blog at moresoftmoneyhardlaw.com, then you are really missing out because it lays out legal issues surrounding current events and constitutional law in a way that is very easy to understand and also thought is thought-provoking. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report former White House counsel, Mr. Robert Bauer. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Bauer. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. As you know, Attorney General Sessions gave testimony before the Senate this week, uh, and from the get-go, He made it very clear that the president of the United States is entitled to have confidential conversations with members of his cabinet and that Sessions was not going to comment on those specific conversations. Yet today, Sessions is being portrayed as dodging questions and protecting the president. As a former counsel to the White House, I was wondering how you felt about Sessions' testimony. In reviewing the transcript, and there's no question that there was a dodgy quality uh, to uh, the attorney general's testimony. It's not clear to me what he imagined he'd be asked when he got there. And as has happened in the past, uh, it's not certain uh, on what basis he chooses to answer some questions and not others. He's certainly entitled to say, and one would expect him to say, that there are some communications with the president that are confidential. Uh, There are obviously going to be circumstances, and maybe the Mueller investigation is a good example of that, uh, where he would be called upon in the criminal justice process to account for those discussions. And uh, we'll have to give evidence because he's not a personal lawyer to President uh, Trump. Uh, He's a government lawyer. He represents the United States in his capacity as attorney general. Well, aren't you know? I, I I really have to feel for Sessions a little bit. I mean, he's he's in a tough spot there. Uh, there are communications that are confidential that uh, that the White House Counsel would have uh, with the president, or the Attorney General would have with the president. Where do you draw the line? You know, I mean, you said it was a little bit dodgy, but isn't that kind of a subjective uh, evaluation? 
Well, I draw a distinction, in, and, and I might as a former White House counsel, between his position and the position of the attorney general and, uh, the, or the position, the position of the White House counsel and the position of the attorney general. The White House counsel is a, a senior aide uh, to the president, a personal advisor to the president. The attorney general is a cabinet officer whose nomination is subject to confirmation by the Senate. And so built into the role of the attorney general is a measure of accountability, if you will, public accountability, uh, that the that is not asked of the of a senior aide like the White House counsel. So then the next question is, you know, what does he tell the Congress? What does he not when he appears before the Congress to give testimony? And I suppose by dodgy, I mean that it is not clear to me, and it would have been helpful probably to the Senate to hear uh, what it is that he's relying on in distinguishing between what he's prepared to discuss and what he's not. And you know, it's one thing for him to say that there are confidential communications that he is not prepared to disclose. Uh, it's another thing for him potentially to hide behind, um, or I don't want to put that too prejudicially, but to use that, if you will, as a reason why there are matters on which he should be publicly accountable that he's not prepared to address. So, you know, it might be that the dodginess comes off because it's not clear what standard he's using in deciding what he's prepared to speak to before the Congress and what he's not. I think that's a good point. I think he should come forward and say, you know, this is the basis on which I decide those communications I will talk about and those I won't. If he would just come forward, I think, and, and state what those standards are, uh, that might be very helpful. Now, one of the most surprising revelations that came out of that testimony is the fact that Special Counsel Mueller uh, and his investigation team haven't questioned Sessions. Did you find that kind of shocking? <laughs> Not really, because I have no way of knowing inside the Mueller investigation sort of how it's unfolding and how they've organized their investigative steps. And so where uh, the special counsel is in the investigation and what he will do with the evidence and deciding whom to speak to and when is something I, I just wouldn't have a handle on. And so I wasn't surprised by it. It was a little... Let me be very clear at the outset. I have not carefully read the full testimony. I've read news accounts. And so I want to be fair here in characterizing the session's testimony, I did note, and I don't think I'm mistaken about this, that you know he originally said he wasn't clear in his own mind whether that request had come to him. And then I think an aide passed him a note and he said, well, no, we haven't been asked. And that seemed a little peculiar to me. And that's what I mean about the the, the somewhat uncertain basis on which he seems to be testifying. And this is not the first time I detected that that uncertainty, that sort of fuzziness in the first testimony that he gave uh, to Congress that dealt with Russia-related matters. Well, clearly he is one of the central players. Uh, he has said that the president came and asked what to do about Comey. Uh, he did. It. He was asked that, and he has said that he was asked that. Um, and so he is one of the central players, if there was any... Um, uh, opportunity to obstruct justice here. Uh, this is why I was very curious. I mean, it, nobody else is making that the headlines, but I found that to be the most meaningful thing that came out of the testimony yesterday was the fact that Mueller ha and no one from the investigation team has a has talked to him. Well, very often, you know, I, I should say, and again, without knowing how Mueller is organizing the investigation and sort of what's streams of evidence he's following and in what order, one can't say, but it is not atypical for the most senior people uh, to be interviewed last. And so who knows where he is, how long it will take. But obviously, as you suggest, uh, there are circumstances, uh, including, frankly, in the original explanations given for the firing of Jim Comey, in which the attorney general was involved. Uh, he did not recuse himself from that decision, as you recall. Yes. Uh, that's part of the overall narrative here, and it's inconceivable that he won't have to give his testimony at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th I think that there's you know, we need to hear from him what he was asked and what recommendations that, uh, that he made. Now, thus far, we have the U.S. intelligence community confirming that there were attempts by Russia to interfere in the 2016 election. And then there were some meetings which took place clearly between members of the president's uh, campaign advisors, his uh, camp family, influential Russians. We know that they met. 
Um, we don't exactly know what the exchange of the conversation was, but we do know that there were, were meetings that took place. But we haven't really seen anything which implicates the president directly. So let me let me ask you this. What if we find out that Putin and the leadership in Russia thought it was there to advantage it was their advantage to deal with Trump rather than Clinton? And this was just independently launched. Well, let me begin. Uh, I'll answer that question, but I'd like to begin just by addressing one point you just made, which is the question of direct evidence. Now, that is an absolutely fair point to make, and this is such a extraordinary set of circumstances. The underlying issue here, which is Russian interference in the election, uh, is uh, you know obviously the highest national security concern for the country and for the way we imagine the democracy to be functioning. Right. Mr. Bauer, we uh, have to go to a hard commercial break. Can we pick this sure. up right on the other side of the break? Because I, I really do, am curious about your answer in terms of what hard evidence do we have and what soft evidence do we have? And I think we need to make a distinction there. We have to take our first break, but stay where you are. We'll be right back with Robert Bauer. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, whose Brut Cuvée is winning wine awards faster than we can name them. What is it about Caraccioli's Brut Cuvée that sets it apart from others? I really think it comes down to both process and the fruit. Uh, we're in a ideal location to grow Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and being able to harvest that at optimal pick points in Monterey County, where you have a climate and soils that produce these grapes in the best way possible. Pulling them earlier on, you still get a lot of fruit expression, but you get a lot of acidity, which gives you the opportunity to make killer sparkling wine. And our Brute, being our flagship wine, has everything that's possible when it comes to sparkling wine. You can order any of our products directly from us by visiting our website at caracciolicellars.com or calling the tasting room directly, 831-622-7722. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-314-7417. 800-314-7417. That's 800-314-7417. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day... I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I am done with my mattress. That's right. I'm not spending another night on this old bag. My new mattress comes today, and this thing is out of here. Bye-bye, mattress. Yep, bye-bye, mattress. So says you and about a thousand other people every day. And that's a lot of old mattresses with no place to go. There's the landfill, of course, where they just take up space. But what a waste. Because you could send it to a mattress recycler where old mattresses get broken down into steel, foam, wood, and fiber that become new steel, carpet padding, home insulation, 
garden mulch, biomass fuel, locomotive oil filters, and all kinds of other great stuff. So Bye Bye Mattress is right. But don't toss it. Recycle it. It's easy. And it's free. To find a mattress recycler in your area, visit ByeByeMattress.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former White House counsel to President Obama, Mr. Robert Bauer. And before the break, I was making the point that aside from the intelligence community confirming that Russia attempted to interfere in the 2016 election and some meetings between Trump's family and campaign advisors and Russian representatives, we don't seem to see anything that rises to the level of hard evidence that the president had any direct involvement. And you were beginning to make a distinction between hard and soft evidence, I think. Yes, I simply wanted to point out that we do know that uh, when the Trump campaign prepared to make public disclosures about this meeting and a press statement was drafted on behalf of the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., we know that the president was involved in drafting that statement. And we are also now aware that that statement was inaccurate. That is to say, the statement did not, in fact, concede, as later was acknowledged to be the case, that these guests from Moscow had in mind to discuss supposedly negative information that they were bringing to the campaign's attention about former Secretary Clinton. And so there is a whole host of questions that are raised there about what the president may have known that he was not prepared to disclose about the meeting in advance, what he learned about the meeting, at the, you know, literally concurrently with it, uh, what he was told about the follow-up. So it's not hard evidence of collusion, but there's certainly some way now in which we know the president was involved in some ways with that meeting uh, in the Trump Tower between the Trump campaign and these uh, emissaries from Moscow. Yeah, but frankly, we don't know that this wasn't this plan wasn't just hatched by the Russians on their own, and they they didn't say, you know what, we if we have a choice and we can uh, affect the election in the United States, we'd rather have Trump than than Clinton, uh, you know, and 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 so I'm I'm not sure we're ever going to. I, I mean, I, I I appreciate Secretary Mueller, and I you know, and I appreciate the investigation very much, but I'm not sure we're ever going to get to the bottom of this. I mean, what's your what's your gut feeling telling you? Are we going to find a smoking gun? That's that's impossible for me to know. There's so much evidence uh, that's available to these experienced uh, prosecutors. What, what that evidence shows is something I can't possibly know. There is obviously some reason to be concerned uh, because of the Trump campaign's uh, encouragement of the Russian intervention in 2016. The president's own statement that he hoped that they would, you know, obtain the. Uh, deleted emails uh, from Secretary Clinton and put them up on WikiLeaks. And then, of course, he's you now systematically refused to acknowledge the Russian interference. Uh, he came close in January of, 20, um, uh, of 2017, but he you know, since has repeatedly um, tweeted out that he thinks this entire investigative endeavor is a hoax. So it is something that clearly requires getting to the bottom of because you have somebody who, who's, again, taking into account that press statement in June of 2016, someone uh, in now the president of the United States who seems to be extremely reluctant to engage directly with this issue. But do we have now the open and shut case of collusion? You know, the answer is the most, at least that I know that we have of the sort of evidence people are looking for is uh, the email traffic around the Trump Tower meeting in 2016. So whether that opens the door to other uh, evidence uh, is something I wouldn't know, and we won't know for a while, I suspect. Yeah, I just hope that they come up with something that's finite, and this just doesn't go on and on and on and on. You know, we, we say, well, you need to get to the bottom of it. As long as there's an actual bottom, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, what I worry yeah. about is there's no bottom, and it goes on and yeah. on. So let's talk about election reform. That's something you've been involved in your entire career. seems like every time we hear about reform, it's designed to benefit the left or the right in some way. The left claims that forcing people to produce identification to vote that works against Democratic candidates, and the Republicans claim there's a bunch of illegitimate voters, uh, and that has to be addressed. So let's start there. How do you make sure that the people who vote are entitled to vote? How do we clean this up? 
Well, let me say, first of all, something, and you've raised what may be the most important point, uh, sort of in a way you've pointed to the cloud that's been hanging over voting reform now for a number of years, and that is the concern that one way or the other, reform is either one side's or the other side's way of feeling an advantage in the election. And I just want to point to some experience we have that that need not be the case. And then I'll answer the specific question about what we can do, because it's related to the point I want to make about it not having to be the case that this area be so politicized. In the wake of the 2016, uh, excuse me, the 2012 re-election campaign of President Obama, the president asked for a review of problems in the electoral system that we have, and he put together a commission by executive order on election administration. And it was notably bipartisan. It was co-chaired by myself, who was general counsel to the president's re-election campaign, and Ben Ginsburg, who was general counsel to Governor Romney's uh, mm -hmm. presidential campaign. And it was a professionalized commission. There were 10 members on the commission. The other commissioners were experts in one form or another of either administration, because we had to look at issues like how polling places could best manage long lines, or in elections, had served as either in the past or currently served as election officials. And that commission put out a bipartisan report, uh, a unanimous report, uh, which looked at the various ways in which we can do meaningful reform, we can accomplish meaningful reforms that will both reassure people that only eligible voters can vote, but then also have a system that functions reliably for those who are eligible to vote, a system that does not entail long lines to wait, does not entail faulty machines, uh, doesn't raise concerns that people might have, uh, that you know, outmoded registration lists or poor election administration will result in votes being cast that are lost or not accurately counted. And there's a whole slew of recommendations in the report that we issued, and fortunately, um, the civil society organized around these issues, nonprofit organizations dedicated to election reforms have picked these recommendations up and run with them. And we've seen any number of them, like, for example, more movement toward online voting registration, um, any number of them gaining increasing acceptance in the states. So there is a path to bipartisan reform. Unfortunately, the issue that you've identified, which is how badly politicized this debate has become, uh, has resulted in a major setback, and I'm referring here to President Trump's intervention in this matter through his decision to ask the vice president uh, to set up what has come to be called the Pence-Kobach Commission after Vice President Pence and the Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who is the vice chair. And that is a commission that, from the very, very outset, has had only one theme it wishes to stress, and that is voting fraud consistent with the president's own completely unsubstantiated claims that three to five million people voted illegally in the last election and all of them voted for Hillary Clinton. And this is, I cannot describe, after all these years of striving towards some bipartisan consensus on how to fix the system, what a blow to those reform efforts this commission has been. Now, I think it has so badly discredited itself in the early going, I don't know that it's going to have much impact in the long run. But all I can say is that's not the model. And to get away from what you're concerned about, we have to have bipartisan election reform efforts on behalf of experts who are operating in good faith. And this is a point I want to stress, that election reform ought to be run by the government the way companies uh, run their businesses for their own customers. You know, treat them the right way, make sure the system runs correctly. And if we treat our voters the way those businesses treat our customers, we're going to have a vastly better electoral process. Well, that was that's very well said. And I hope we get back to that bipartisan report and recommendations. We have to take another scheduled intermission, but stay where you are. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Costa Report. I learned something shocking from an FBI report recently. Do you know what the average property loss is from just one home break-in? $2,316. Think of it. One burglary. Over $2,000. 
If you tally up all the burglaries in this country, it's worse. The total loss is in the billions. It's as important as ever to protect your home. Try it with Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe protects every door and window in your home. This system is completely wireless, so you can set it up yourself without drilling holes in your wall. And you have professional alarm monitoring around the clock ready to send the police. Just $15 a month. Go to simplysafe.com slash report and get a special 10% discount when you order today. Or if you want the security system right away, visit your local Best Buy. You can have your home protected by tonight. That's simplysafe.com slash report for 10% off. Simplysafe.com slash report. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six... My days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Women now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. Harvard Medical School has now opened its doors to new female applicants. The first woman is now in space. The majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. Okay, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. So mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Underwear always comes first. Name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole or you have to start all over. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and you're left with bunny ears. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier, and it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit 2min2x.org to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Yeah, you, it's me, your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious, and yours? Whoa. What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is former White House counsel Robert Bauer. And we've been talking about election reform and the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. So let's switch gears for just a moment and talk about the powers of the executive branch. I have been concerned for some time now about the use of executive orders and so-called agreements, which arguably rose to the level of treaties. And recently you wrote an article about another danger, and that's the use of the presidential pardon. Could you speak to that for just a moment? Yes, uh, I'm happy to. The pardon, of course, is you know, extraordinary presidential authority. And the question is, what constraints does a president adopt in exercising that authority? In what ways does the president in particular show that that authority is being exercised 
for an important public purpose, uh, not, for example, you know, to shield a friend from liability, not to score a political point, because it's a massive intervention into the legal process by the executive. And so I have been you know, deeply troubled, and I don't think I'm alone, by the by President Trump, uh, the pardon of uh, Sheriff Arpaio, former Sheriff Arpaio. Uh, he previewed this uh, pardon at a political rally. Let's start with that. He went to a political rally and sort of essentially got the crowd going by saying that he wondered whether they agreed that Arpaio was a good guy, however he framed that. And then he talked about how if Arpaio was in trouble it was because he was doing his job. Well, he was in trouble because he disregarded and made a point of expressly disregarding a federal court order. And so in the middle of all of that, effectively, you know, as you know, he had not been sentenced. Uh, the president steps in and tells a political audience that he likes Arpaio, he thinks they like Arpaio, and he doesn't care that he defied a federal court order that he views him as having done his job, and if doing his job as the president defined it meant defying a federal court order, well, so be it. It's hard for me to think of anything more feckless than a president using the pardon power to shield from liability a political ally who's in legal trouble for that reason in an ongoing case. And for that matter, using that particular forum to yes, showcase is there, is there anything legally uh, wrong with that? I mean, is that a, is that outside of the purview of the executive branch, or or is this just more of a look? That's not the way things are done. You don't step in before somebody's been sentenced and and shield them from liability. Uh, that's not what the intent of the pardon was, because you know there's a, as you know the law is very technical. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. You're the lawyer and I'm not. But but it's a it's a technical vehicle. So my question is, was it allowed by law, but it's just distasteful? And and is this an issue of the timing of when he did the pardon? Could he have done the pardon later and it wouldn't have been as objectionable? Well, I should also mention to you, I'm glad you raised the question of whether it would happen later. Also, it's fairly typical for presidents to obtain the recommendation of the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice has a pardon attorney, and the department processes for the president's consideration uh, the cases that they think are worthy of consideration for pardon. The president didn't do that in this case because he didn't operate within the normal process. You ask a critically important question, which is, what is the difference? And does it really matter whether there's a difference between a norm, sort of a standard that we expect presidents to follow, and the president's legal authority? And if I could, let me say this, that it is absolutely the case that uh, presidents who do not observe norms, in other words, they do not, through self-restraint and the appropriate reading of the powers of their office, uh, they do not, if you will, control themselves. They, they disregard those standards very frequently wind up forcing what used to be a norm into the discussion of a change in the law, a change in our constitutional understanding. So I'll give you, you know, a, a, an example of where sometimes courts step in where the norms appear to have been violated. There have been cases in the past where presidents have tried to use uh, executive privilege uh, to prevent testimony from being given in the criminal justice system, right? Uh, and in those cases, um, the courts have actually stepped in and decided that uh, the president has interpreted their authority too broadly. They've set themselves up, if you will, uh, too grandiosely above our legal system. So the norms operated for a while to make sure the issue is never raised. But by the time the norms are violated, then questions become whether, in fact, we need to rethink what the law is, rethink what the constitutional standards are, because the presidents are not observing norms. Now, I don't know where the pardon issue goes from here. I, I, I can't say by any means that I do. But I think that if, if, if President Trump, uh, who has already declared that the pardon power is absolute, begins to wield it, say, in the Russia investigation to shield members of his family, uh, to shield people who are politically close to him who may have exposure. And I'm not saying he would do that, but it certainly has come up. You've seen some press commentary, some questions about whether he could do that. He will be violating norms, and it may be that it, it pushes the legal system, if you will, sort of the constitutional arrangement overall in a different direction than it's been before. Now, we're just about out of time, but I have to ask you this question. Can, from a legal perspective, just a technical perspective, can a president pardon himself? 
It, from a t- again, when you say not, 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 forget the norms right. for a moment, is it is it within the jurisdiction of the executive branch to pardon yourself? There is a there is a split of a, of of scholarly opinion on that. Not everybody agrees that the president can use the pardon power in that respect. So I'd have to refer to that as an unresolved issue. That's very similar to the question, by the way, of whether a president, by virtue of being president, is immune from indictment while in office. Yes. Uh, there are some who believe that to be the case, and there are other scholars who don't. And again, if we have a government uh, that uh, and a presidency that tests those norms, we may very well wind up getting answers to those questions. Well, I like those tests. I like uh, I love the law, and I like these things to wind up in court and be argued. I learn a lot more <laughs> that way. I don't learn from breaking the norms, but I certainly learn when it's uh, when it's presented in in court. I'm afraid we're we are just about out of time. But before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for your service to our country and also for making time to speak to us today. Thank you, Mr. Bauer. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Now, today we've been talking about matching the best way to get the right person for the job. And, uh, you know, whether that job is the West Wing or an entry-level job in a small company, we're all familiar with what happens when we settle for a candidate who does not have the experience or the qualifications that are needed. But what if that process could be made easier? What if it could be streamlined and take less time? That is where ZipRecruiter can help. With ZipRecruiter... You can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click, and then powerful technology matches the right person to your job. And everyone knows if there's a way to post a job just one time and then have it show up on 100 job sites, how much time that's going to save and how much you increase the odds of locating that perfect person for your opening. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. And also, the reason it's used by thousands of businesses, small and large, unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It goes out and finds them. In fact, over 80%, mark that number, 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter locate a qualified candidate in just one day. Imagine that, in one day. So ZipRecruiter is not only thorough, it's also fast. No more juggling emails or calls to your office. You can screen, rate, and manage all of your candidates in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of every size to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And you heard a couple of weeks ago, we had a person from Robert Half on this program. And what did he have to tell us? He told us that this is a jobs, uh, an employee's market right now. It's a, it's a job seeker's market. It's not a business's market. So the competition is on, folks, to fill jobs with qualified candidates. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Rebecca. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We have to take another short break, and when we come back, I have some thoughts about why it's important for at least some media outlets to remain unbiased. Stay with us. You're listening to the Costa Report. struggling with addiction or alcohol problems? If you're depressed, drinking, and using drugs, you may need help. And the Affordable Care Act guarantees coverage of substance abuse. I knew I could get myself out of this. I just needed some hope and some help. I took the first step to recovery when I made the call. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. 800-962-6969. I feel like I'm losing control. I'm afraid I'll lose my job or even my family. Call now for hope and help with proven, gentle recovery programs. I never thought that I could be somebody who didn't drink and use drugs. I'm in recovery, getting the help I need. Call the Addiction Hope and Helpline now for a free assessment with someone who cares. Call 800-962-6969. 800-962-6969. 
800-962-6969. Here's something big banks don't want you to know about your IRA or 401k. What if you could store your IRA or 401k where you could see, touch, and hold it in person in the form of physical gold and silver coins? I know you can't do that with your stock portfolio. With Augusta Gold and Silver IRA, you can transfer retirement savings into physical coins and store them where you can actually see them, where you can get your gold faster in any disaster. Free shipping, zero management fees, and Augusta pays all upfront costs. Getting started absolutely free. Rated A-plus with a Better Business Bureau and a 98% five-star satisfaction. Rating with TrustLink.org so you can trust Augusta. Call toll-free 855 5662 now for your free guide to Augusta Gold IRA. Call toll free 855 777 5662. That's 855 777 5662. Call Augusta today. 855 777 5662. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving. Without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You gonna finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... (laughs) Sometimes, though. (laughs) You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America on your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, we have been speaking with former White House counsel to President Obama, Mr. Robert Bauer. Now, one thing I want to say before I dive into some of the issues that Bauer raised is that I am a registered independent. Uh, Just recently, I've been getting a lot of letters from the far right and also from the far left that have been pretty aggressive and intolerant and um, even crossed the line of being threatening. So this week, I want to be sure our listeners know that there's a good chance that you're going to disagree with and be unhappy with 50% of the guests that we invite to the Costa Report. I know this because we, we try to balance our guest schedule so the opinions of the right and the left are as balanced as possible. Though we can't always alternate exactly every other week, our producers do a pretty good job of balancing that guest roster. For every George Schultz, you'll find me talking to a Leon Panetta. And for every Debbie Wasserman Schultz, we interview a Dana Perino. And to prove that point to you, we post every single one of our interviews that we've conducted over the years right there on our website. You can you can pull up any particular year and look at the entire guest roster, and you can see that that balance is maintained for yourself. It's right there in plain sight. Now, 
I've been thinking about this, and I, I think what might confuse folks is the fact that I treat every one of our guests with respect, and I have a friendly, informed, and rational conversation with them each week on this program. I am not a proponent of gotcha journalism. It's not my goal to make anyone look bad uh, or try to get, grab some headline and sensationalize what they're saying, regardless of whether I agree with them or not. The fact is... It isn't important whether I agree. Take me out of the equation. What What is important is to find out what do they know. You know, I, I see myself in the Costa Report as a conduit for what they know so that what they know can get out to the general public. We serve you. I, I don't serve myself. I serve you. And to this end, I want to make sure we remain open and unbiased no matter who we feature in any particular week. So for listeners who are pretty sure I am a liberal disguising myself as a conservative, and for those who accuse me of being a conservative pretending to be a liberal, well, the fact is I am neither. Like most of America, I have some liberal and conservative beliefs, and this is why I call myself an independent, and also why the fastest-growing voting category in the United States are independents. Wake up, you can't win an election without us. While I do very much appreciate hearing from listeners, I and our staff here at the Costa Report could do without the emails and letters which are trying to bully us to feature only liberal or only conservative guests. There are plenty of programs which lean to one side or the other, and you have plenty of other choices. And that is what makes living in the United States such a rare privilege. The Costa Report is never going to be all conservative or all liberal in spite of interviewing guests that have very specific points of view. And that includes our guest this week, Robert Bauer, who was White House counsel for President Obama. And before that was his personal attorney. Bauer was also the counsel for the Democratic National Committee. In other words, Bauer has a very clear point of view. But let's be honest about that point of view. It doesn't mean that he is always wrong and that he is wrong when it comes to the law. The law is a technical instrument. And you heard us talking about that this hour. You know, you can say, you can talk about norms. You can say things are not customary. This is generally not what a president does. But at the end of the day, if they are, if they are obeying the law, it is within their purview. So while we're free to look at Anything we want to, in any perspective we want to, in the end, our perspective isn't what matters. That's what it means to live under the rule of law. It means the law is more important than dogma, bias, and intentions. To this end, it doesn't matter if you're a supporter of President Trump or you're not a supporter. There are certain executive actions that are permitted under law, and that is that. Granting pardons is one of those lawful privileges. So is hammering out and signing agreements on behalf of the United States, such as the Iran Agreement. And so is stopping or restricting immigration in the name of national security. These are powers granted to the executive branch by law. So just because we may not like how these powers are being used, let's not get confused as to whether this or any other, uh, this president or any other president has the legal right to do what they do. Laws are meant to be applied equally. And that includes Trump and it includes Obama. If you try to restrict one party's president, you restrict all of them. You just can't have it both ways, folks. And that is what it means to live under the rule of law. It must be applied to presidents and to individual citizens equally. And speaking of adhering to the rule of law, much of what we've been talking about this hour has been about making incremental changes. And sometimes it, it, it gets a lot. It takes a lot to help make us make a change. Whereas in other instances, it's so obvious and easy. We don't need to give it a second thought. Take the three million men who have switched from their normal, same old, same old razor to a Harry's razor, which, by the way, includes my own son. 
In case you don't know the story, the founders of Harry's were so fed up with the high cost of premium razors, they found and they bought a German factory with over 100 years of blade-making experience, and they decided to cut the middleman out and go direct to you. This is the reason Harry's offers the best value in precision razors on the market today. You will not get a better shave for your money. But there really are some things you can't tell a person about. There are things that you owe it to yourself to experience firsthand. And Harry's is so confident that you're going to love and, and love the feel and the look of your new shave. That they're offering listeners of the Costa Report a free trial. It won't last long, so grab this while you can. All you have to do is go to harrys.com slash costa, C-O-S-T-A, to get your free Harry's razor kit. And that kit includes an ergonomically designed razor handle, five precision blades, shaving gel. And I got to tell you, folks, I'm in love with their shaving gel, and you will be too. And a travel blade cover. All you pay for is shipping. And I give you my word that once you try a Harry's razor, you're not going to want to use anything else. So jump on your mobile phone or your tablet and go to harrys.com slash costa to get your free trial razor blades gel and blade cover and remember to put that slash costa c-o-s-t-a to get the complete kit at no cost Uh, now again this isn't going to last forever that's harrys.com slash costa to get your trial razor kit and if you have a son or a husband or a brother or even a friend who shaves every day well order the kit for him i got one for my son and now he won't use any other razor uh, but you, you can't you can imagine how many times I'm a pretty good nagger and you can imagine how many times I nagged him to get the free razor kit. and He just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't get off the he wouldn't get off his duff and do it. So I just did it for him. And uh, you know what? As soon as he tried it, he said, I, I'm really sorry, mom. You were right. These are the best razors I've ever used. So there you go. You not only have me telling you about it, you now got my son nagging you about it. One more time. That's Harry's dot com slash Costa. And that just about wraps up our first hour. If your station is leaving us after this hour, my guest next week is guaranteed to raise your blood pressure to a boiling point or he'll have you laughing and shaking your head at how crazy the world has become. They don't make them like Louis Black. Uh, That's right. And you know Louis Black doesn't do a lot of of, uh, radio shows. So our producers worked pretty hard to get Louis to come on the program next week. And I know you're going to enjoy him because, you know, when it comes to a sharp wit wit and a sharp mouth, uh, they don't come any any smarter than Louis Black, who, by the way, uh, has quite a distinguished educational history. If you don't know that as well, uh, we'll get into that a little bit next week as well, because uh, you don't you don't normally associate a uh, uh, a um, uh, distinguished college uh, degrees with uh, with uh, stand up comedians. Don't miss comedian and author Lewis Black next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management Thank you.